Good evening, everybody. On a Tuesday night, the 31st uh, of October, episode 113, uh, weirdly enough, on Halloween. Who would have thought uh, of so what's been happening? So tonight we welcome uh, Melbourne-based artist with incredible talent, Justine McAllister. So we'll have a chat to her shortly. Um, thanks to Eddie Zamet for hooking this up for me. Um, I've met Justine before at a few galleries, um, but it's nice to connect the blocks. Uh, and Eddie's been kind enough to connect us uh, together to, to get a show and chat about her art career uh, and in general, in life in general. So just before we do, we're going to touch on a couple of gigs that are music gigs that are coming up. Uh, we interviewed the other day Jessica Lux, um, who's got a show to uh, Thursday night uh, at the Merry Creek Tavern. That will round off, uh, we'll start off your November. Uh, also uh, off to George Lane with Mick Daly's Corporate Raiders and Penny Eichinger. Make sure you check that one out. Um, hit the road then and off to Archie's Creek for a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers uh, tribute with a few superstars there, Rebecca Barnard, Charles Jenkins, Nick Barker and Rob Craw. Uh, there's a few road trips for that one, 3rd, 4th and 5th of November. And then back for Jessica Lux at George Lane in St Kilda. Make sure you check that one out. Um, Archie's Creek's going to be a massive one on Saturday night for Sweet, a band called Sweet Talk, who are getting big. So make sure you check them out. Um, and UMI, uh, Melbourne's own UMI. So with friends of ours on the show, Davey Lane and Tim Rogers. So make sure you check that out. At, up at Archie's Creek, and then into the 4th uh, to the 7th of October, sorry, November, we've got uh, the Retreat Hotels having a big festival, so make sure you check out some great gigs there with some local acts for sure. Uh, another friends of the show, Cold Irons Bound, they've got a gig on the Sunday, the 5th of November, uh, and just to round out the start of uh, the week for next week, uh, US um, artist who's going to be coming on the show in the next few weeks has got a new show. Uh, Jenny Don't and the Spurs, uh, that's at Shot Kickers, but there's also a couple of other gigs coming up, uh, the old bar as well. So make sure you check that one out. And the last one to round out is Seven Ups. They're releasing a new uh, single. This will be at the Nightcat on Monday. So if that doesn't round off your cup weekend, uh, you've you've gone to the wrong place because um, I guarantee you, you'll text me back and you'll have loved one of those gigs. And to... Just a quick last-minute shout-out to Luli Palooza, which is part of the, the Luli Tavern. Big festival that's on in a couple of weeks' time on the 11th of November. Make sure you check that out with uh, a few friends of the show as well. So there you go. Um, that's what you're going to do for the week or weekend. Most importantly, um, stay safe out there. Halloween's on tonight. Go to bed early. The kids have absolutely raided anything to do with uh, the chocolate that was around my place, that's for sure. Uh, they took it early, so the, luckily the kids were out nice and early. So, um, And then make sure you round out the rest of the week uh, going to see some music. But tonight we're talking art, um, which is – we've had a couple of artists on, which has been fantastic. Keegan Hall from the States, uh, who is a pencil drawing artist and he's drawn some of the most iconic uh art pieces in the world and raised a hell of a lot of money for charity so he's been incredible um and the other one is danielle weber we've also had on as well so that was a great chat too so this uh kicks off a bit of an art series that we're going to have uh, over time connecting with some artists as we touch on music um and art and they all kind of tie in together at some point no doubt so it's fantastic to be able to bring on um for episode 113 Justine McAllister. So here we go. Welcome. Welcome, Justine. Hi. Thanks very much for having me. It's a um, Tuesday night, 31st of October. Uh, what else would you be doing on a quiet Tuesday night? Drawing. Yep. I, you eat and then you keep drawing and then think about work right up to probably a couple of seconds before you go to bed. So that's probably a normal Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, early in the week. Is it a is it an action-packed week for you at the moment, or is it a uh, a planning and um, a planning week? I guess it's all digital design, trying to get on top of admin. Uh, not on a wall this week, but it's prepping for them and sorting out logistics. So hectic, but in, in different ways. Yeah, I think um, the challenge of obviously being an artist as well is 
someone's got to do the back end work and make sure the bills are getting paid um, and the money's coming in. It's uh, it's not all fun and dirty hands and paint. Um, there's uh, there's another side to it. And gladly enough, now that you've uh, you're growing very rapidly as an artist, uh, that that has its challenges as well, no doubt. It does. Like the bigger projects, bigger problems, and more at stake. So it's always want to grow, but you always are faced with equal challenges the more you level up. Yeah, I bet. I bet. All right, we're going to touch back to um, one of your first memories of of art that you look back on now uh, as an adult. What kind of do you remember as a kid? What what was it for you? What gripped you at some point? I think I think I just started drawing really really early, and I think either my mom or my nan told me I was good at it, and it makes you feel good. Big compliment, yeah. and you go, I'm going to keep doing this, and they get put on the fridge. You get more compliments, but not only that, I really enjoyed the process. And I think quite at an early age, that sort of solidified my identity that I'm, you know, somewhat artistic or a maker. And I don't know, I was just always making things like dad was a TV repairman growing up and get a box from his shop and I'd make a horse stables for my plastic horses in it and always making dresses for my Barbies and then drawing it. So it was just always this sort of spiral of creativity and making things and uh like being banished to my room not that I was but um was just my idea of joy kind of thing I wasn't very outdoorsy growing up it was always being in my bedroom making always on the floor still make on the floor cross-legged uh still draw on the floor cross-legged probably not the best as I'm getting a bit older but (laughs) I think it was just that and then I never really stopped I think it wasn't until about of high school that a couple of very supportive teachers told me I was too smart to be an artist or it wasn't a smart career move or what was I thinking? And then I think that was the first seeds of doubt of like, oh, should I not do this forever? Or, you know, maybe I won't be able to make money or should I be stopping this or is this childlike or silly? Because not a lot of my friends were creating as well. But I still think about my high school art teacher who quite favorable of me to be quite honest but I I thought I wanted to do fashion design in year 12 and I was talking to him about it and he goes what did you do all summer and this was the summer between year 11 and year 12 and I said I did like 50 paintings or something he goes have you thought about being an artist of a career and I was like oh it's actually the creating the drawing the painting of the process of anything is what I love so I kind of went with that and ran with it have you ever kept any of those old paintings that you did as a youngster and ever looked back on them? And and where? what's your advice to that little young child right now? Yeah, a few of them are still on mum and dad's walls, to be quite honest, and they're all they're full. Nice. Yes. Yep. Um, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think my advice to myself then was just would have even been like create more, like ignore the self-doubt ignore the perfectionism, the expectations, ignore art trends. I think a lot of people are quite unaware of teachers or mentors, art trends and what where they try and skew you and um, like just have a heavy influence on what you should be making and how you should be making it. I think just stick to your guns. My artwork has always been the most successful when I've just done my own thing. Like... I um, went to university to study fine art painting and it wasn't until I went rogue and ignored most of the lecturer's advice that the university bought one of my works. So I think, yeah, I'm quite suggestive and I think sometimes when people suggest things to me or try and influence, I like try to keep an open mind and learn new things, but I sometimes... I've got to remember what do I like doing? What's what kind of work do I want to see in the world and what processes do I enjoy doing? So that's something I think I would try and tell my younger self or younger artists is just keep checking in with yourself and make sure the process and the concepts are authentic to what you want to be doing. Yeah, I think that's unbelievable advice because it's it's very easy just to try and take the work that's there, but not necessarily um, it might pay the bills, but there's no enjoyment factor, which probably leads to the lack of longevity potentially as an artist. 
absolutely. I like myself, like so many of my peers, I've done horrendous jobs for cash. You know what I mean? And <laughs> with those jobs, you just go, um, it's a means to an end and make the client happy. But um, yeah, I've done some corkers of jobs. Yeah. <laughs> they're not all, earlier on, they're not all fun and games. <laughs> yeah. Well, in your words, I'll call this a corker for a good reason, though. Uh, this job uh, was a few years ago now. I think we're going back to 2017. So we're going a little bit back in time. But um, you got a chance to express yourself uh, on a large scale, maybe for one of the first times. But in this case, uh, incredible story and amazing content. So this goes for a couple of minutes. So I really want to just show this video and then we're going to talk through it. But this is when we highlighted just before that this is when Justine just started to turn the corner a little bit and realize, yeah, this grad big kind of big scale artwork maybe is for you here we go i'm justine mccallister i am an illustrator muralist i moved here from ballarat when i was 18 studied fine art painting from there i fell in love with murals and a bit more site specific artwork painting on anything that's not a traditional canvas the process for my artwork I went to 10 tram stops that played a significant part of my Melbourne history and selected 10 travellers that used the same stops and asked if I could illustrate them. The idea behind it being that we're all different people with different days, with different backgrounds, but we all share the same network. I gathered all the photos together and started sketching the, the faces and then came up with a concept. I'm really excited to see my tram. I haven't had something on a large object like this. To have my work on a, such an iconic Melbourne object is really exciting. Oh my God, it's really big. <laughs> ah, it's so cool. Just what I hope. I put sort of big, bold motion lines to show a bit of movement, like the tram going by. And I've also cropped the faces to suggest that, you know, we're all on the same network, but you just get a glimpse of these strangers. You only get this little snapshot. So I want the diversity and sense of community to come through. I want people to sort of maybe look around them in the tram and take notice of the diversity in Melbourne and appreciate that. And I also wanted to do something that was super bold and bright sort of a ray of sunshine to run through the city. What an incredible project. Not only is it a great story behind it, um, but so well executed. And I think there probably is no, let's face it, there probably is no more iconic thing than the Melbourne tram, realistically, other than Flinders Street Station possibly but as far as a moving iconic space that is mobile art effectively i mean what better than melbourne's tram um you really nailed this one just tell us a little bit about this project obviously we've we've heard a little bit about um how it kind of came together and the influences but how did that really start to change you as an artist from that point yeah that job was a real win i i remember how I got it. I think I don't think I'd put in any expression of interests before, and that is quite a big part of my income, my career ever since. But I think, I'm pretty sure it was my first one, um, and it was suggested to me. You know, just put it in, and I was like, "There's no way I'll get it," you know. But put something in, um, give it a really good crack, and I got it. And I got these expression of interests are so easy, which is not the case. <laughs> I was just super lucky at the time. Yeah. And I think it, I think that's a project I, before then I was painting a lot of cafes or quite what I would call very small murals um, back then. But I think it was that people started to go, oh, how'd she get that? Or um, it just, you know, it got me a little bit more noticed. And uh, I definitely got a lot of job inquiries because of that. And, you know, the family came down and saw the tram and, um, like when that was up and running, all of my mates and my husband's mates every two seconds were like selfie of them with the tram or on the tram and um, they're always terrible. It'd be the selfie and the tram would be in like the last fifth of it when they're scrambling to get their phones out. But um, 
I was just, a, yeah, it was a really good experience. And actually, I haven't watched that video for years, so it was really nice to see and um, so, still proud of it, but uh, it have come a long way as well. Yeah. So it was nice to see. As you should be. Um, absolutely, you should be proud. It's probably more relevant right now uh, than it's ever been as far as highlighting Melbourne's diverse uh, culture and community uh, and, the, and the transport network. The way you put together and identified I think you mentioned ten people, was it? Um, yeah, you're five on each yeah, side. Yeah, five, yeah. Just to just to have that thought. I mean, where? How did you come up with that idea? I wanted to showcase. Oh, I can't remember if there was a prompt that year hmm. to showcase the community members of Melbourne, but I remember just thinking, it's a really nice story to go to a tram stop that has a connection to myself, like for instance, one in Richmond. Find someone about to jump on the tram and uh take their photo and it is really hard to take strangers photos like so many people so self-conscious or crazy girl with a clipboard running up going you know this is an art thing you could have your face really big on a on a tram so that's how i did it i, I selected 10 um stops and found 10 willing strangers uh you know and after a while you're like oh i've got too many you know blonde women i need to find someone else trying to get a good <laughs> snapshot of melbourne's community but people willing to uh be photographed and be part of the project so uh yeah it was quite bold back then to be doing that and i think i'd, I'd be self-conscious running around about asking that but uh yeah. i guess hungry artists will make you make you do things hey yeah absolutely um yeah you, you never lose that sense of uh of you know fear i guess uh in no matter what the project is and now you've gone on to bigger and better projects larger scale grand scale up in cherry pickers on the tops of buildings all sorts of things but one thing uh we'll touch on a few of those shortly but one thing that really kind of touched home with me and i've seen a few friends and artists do band posters and stuff recently uh, and over the last few years but to do one of my favorite bands possibly ever uh what a moment i hope you're a fan justine but uh, Pearl Jam, this was a one for Texas that was used this year. So um, has this show, this, this show has been, hasn't it, in September? It has, yeah, 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 it was September. What a thrill to do this, really. Uh, I think, look, to be quite honest, how they got in contact with me and why they got in contact with me, still a little hazy, but I think it is because of some previous posters that I've done. May have been my He-Man posters that I did not long ago. But... Yep. To be quite honest, I didn't ask them why. I just said yes immediately and uh, off yeah. we went. But for a company called T-Cert, they look after Pearl Jam's posters and merch, asked me to do it. And they gave me an incredible amount of trust and creative freedom with this, which was amazing. Um, I wouldn't have thought something for such an iconic band that would just let me go. But the whole point of it is to get, artists art on these posters so it's really fabulous to um be allowed that freedom i wasn't ma like massively into pearl jam but my cousins were i'm probably a tiny bit young for pearl jam in their heyday but i do remember my cousins or my neighbors having these enormous pearl jam posters the really really big ones plastered mm. all over their bedrooms and it's funny they've all come out of the woodwork and guys have a pearl jam poster and i go i remember that and um yeah that was quite nice uniting with some of them again and uh can't say too much but uh there will be more band posters soon so fantastic all right that's awesome to hear um <laughs> that's in and ironically that's two artists that we've had on the show that have both done work for pearl jam keegan hall who we had on earlier i think it was probably 60 or 70 odd shows ago now. So we must touch base with Keegan again, but he did a uh, pencil sketch of Eddie Vedder and they raised a hell of a lot of money for charity oh. and Eddie kept the original, which was really cool. And they signed, both signed prints, um, limited edition prints. And so was that a similar kind of thing for the Pearl Jam uh, thing for you? How, how did it kind of work? Is uh, What does, other than, I hopefully a, a financial contribution. Um, what else does the artist really get out of doing something for such a large band other than exposure and money, a little bit of money? Yeah, well, I guess yeah, it's, it's the money, it's the reach. I, one of the yeah. nicest things that came out of the project, there was um, 
a lot of female and queer Pearl Jam fans message something a bit different for for Pearl Jam. There aren't tons of women artists that illustrate for band posters in general, let alone Pearl Jam. So Mm. just having those messages saying, you know, hell yeah, another female doing a piece of work's really nice with a you know bit of a different point of view to um and actually that was one of the greatest things out of it just to create something for iconic band that has a new reach or Mm. caters for maybe a different demographic within their fan base so i mean i was really chuffed with that yeah i mean definitely feedback you probably weren't expecting uh for sure but to get kind of inboxes in one morning obviously as you wake up from the other side of the world uh with with uh exposure from another another um you know reach an audience uh, i think that's really cool and one thing i learned about pearl jams they are very very passionate fans oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) they sure sure every show this year with all of the merch and waited for hours you know, buying absolutely everything. I've got this, that, um, and they were telling us about that. And I, um, diehard fans that I, I didn't know existed. So it was cool to see. Well, there you go. Uh, and a little bit of um, warning for the future that there is more uh, music on the horizon for Justine McAllister. So look out. Um, hopefully, another big international act. But anyway, we'll we'll save that one uh, for a future episode when it happens. <laughs> That's um, good. All right, we need to touch on um, scale now, uh, and I, I think this is one you've uh, incredibly been able to nail. Uh, one thing I really resonate or love about your work is your use of colour um, gives it a real dimension. I think if some artists can get really lost in in the colour mix. How hard is the, the colour choice process for you? It's generally something that comes pretty easy to me. It's, um, yeah, I don't know. I, and I think before I do a design, the colour is quite set or colour combinations are quite set in my head and that's a leading principle even sometimes before the figurative elements come into it. Sometimes client has colour direction, which obviously you have to follow. I try and inject as much yellow into everything as possible I don't know why everything just always seems to come back to yellow. <laughs> I think as well, like one of my really simple formulas, I, I've always gravitated to primary color palettes, your red, yellow, blues. And then within those palettes, I might tweak the blue to come down to a green or I might desaturate the yellow and I might hike up the saturation with the red, but generally having a primary palette to springboard off and then pulling and pushing the hues the saturation of all of those inside like in some kind of way seems to create the most harmonious color palettes for me that's just Mm. how uh, and then just a whole lot of tweaking goes on after that but yeah i i think color is so so important and i've got a um like photos and a sketchbook of color palettes that i want to try I'll often see them in vintage fabrics or someone will be amazing wearing an amazing suit or outfit or in some architecture and I was like, oh, magenta and mauve, like just just put that in here until the next wall, you know, comes up, see if that's appropriate for them. So, yeah, colour's never really a struggle. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, you do it so well. And and this one, not only uh, the, the yellow background, uh, yellows and mustards through the background, but that... Those little pops of red uh, just dances the eyes all the time. You're looking at this little, these red red horses everywhere. So um, then we talk about scale. I mean, you, you don't really appreciate it from this shot how big uh, a mural potentially is. But definitely, I know you're not incredibly tall, Justine, but that's irrelevant. Um, this is a big mural. It's relevant as in it's annoying because you've got a tiny wingspan. <laughs> yeah, you're working with yeah. someone on a lift that's a lot taller than you. You're you're always done a lot um, sooner than they are, which is, yeah, it's yep. really. Um, but when you get this big, no one's this tall, of course. Uh, I think it's like every mural artist. You start painting walls and if you're enjoying doing murals, you just want to go bigger and bigger. It's mm. just something that seems to be an innate in muralists. Just, it's a challenge. It's the next drive, you know. Just, I don't know, it's just a real scale is something I think you can get quite addicted to as well. 
So, and this uh, project you can't see as well has got another return wall in it again, which is, it's kind of a quadrangle that's really difficult to photograph. And it's shy of 70 horses. There's, I think, 68, 69, or bit, 69 bits of horses in these. So mm. for four weeks, I was just, you know, putting on clean paint pants and going to work and painting another few horses. <laughs> so just a yeah. big blur of horse and rain with this project. But um, it was a really great one. I really enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, it's fantastic. And here's a, here's a shot of a little bit of close-up kind of detail as it was kind of coming together um i suppose the question i have to ask is where do you even start with a mural this kind of size um is it an entire background that you paint in or do you do you start in sections every job's different it's generally an access issue so with this project there are a few within this area this is the pullman hotel the car park to the hotel and I had to navigate around a bunch of tradesmen. So there was on one side of this, there was a whole lot of cars and I had to start like at one end and then the cars were at the other area. So I had to do a patch of another area and then they sort of, it, it kind of knitted together. If I had my way, I would do it quite systematically, like chunk by chunk, but yeah. uh, it, it's never that way. I did a project of a portrait years ago and it was so, uh, looking forward to it and the scaffold didn't come so I had to spend a week on it here and how boring that was I wanted to get into the face and the foliage of it and it was just the most rendered ear I think that's ever been painted so you've got to learn to be flexible you've got to um, just paint wherever you can get access to and keep going and if you're working with assistants as well on large projects they can't often don't do exactly what you do. I always want to make the finishing touches or my mark to be mm. something that I do. So if I've got assistance, the background's there to go free reign yep. on. So every project project's different, I feel. I, you know, assess the wall and try and come up with a plan and that's shot to shit often. But yep. Yep. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got the um the factor that you can't control ever is weather. Yeah. Uh, and that that not only does that kind of derail potentially derail the whole timeline of your project but it it affects drawing times um all sorts of things uh so that must be um the big unknown factor i think but probably one of the exciting uh parts of the kill as well to try and get a project done before it starts to rain sometimes yeah i can i plug a really good rain app called rain parrot it's absolutely um it's the most accurate rain detector for any artists out there. You can set it to, you know, if there's one mil coming in, it'll say like five mil of rain will come in northwesterly in five minutes and I've got alerts on my phone so I don't have to be keep checking my phone every two seconds. Yep. It actually screams rain parrot when it's about to rain, which is hilarious. Yeah, um, well. <laughs> but yeah, that has saved the day. And, I, you know, early in, early in my career, you know, there's been a couple of flash floods and I've had, dark blue paint drip down 10 meters or I was unaware of how condensation overnight during the colder months you know you think finish by four o'clock it's dry you know acrylic paint's got half an hour to dry and it just doesn't set a lot of moisture in the air and you come back and your painting's crying so yeah. I think most artists don't learn that the hard way that yes. yeah, you are dictated to the weather and uh, explaining that to the client is really important that it's the one thing that's out of our hands that you can watch the weather but what are the contingency plans that? yeah and types of paint for you while we're touching on the murals um is it is it a water-based acrylic in these instances and all the time yeah. or is it a it's never ever uh water-based enamels and things as well no not really it's the way i paint and no i'm pretty loyal to resin as well the paint brand is yep. That are here, the colors super vibrant. Most mural artists have transitioned to resin mm. nowadays, they just dry really well, super highly pigmented. Other paint brands, especially for yellows, will take you know five oh, yeah. sometimes, yeah. like yeah. you paint audio on a wall, but resin you might will get away with too. So, I, as soon as I, you know, I've had assistants who are mural artists, and you like try this, and they just fall in love with it immediately. Mm. So, George Rose got me onto resin and really look back yeah right well no doubt time's money and you don't have time for six coats of any paint so uh that's for sure 
absolutely. Sometimes when my sister's been assisting me, I'm like, oh, it's like really transparent. So I've made her do that. I've made her do the horrible colours. And the sister pain there for sure. Um, absolutely. All right, uh, let's touch on uh, this mural. Is tell me a little bit about this. It looks to me like it's a vinyl transfer. Yeah, uh, digital printed. Yeah, uh, where was this, and obviously, uh, how did this project come together? This one is in Brisbane. I the actual specific location of it. Um, I never saw it in person, so um, this was for Authority Creative which I've done several projects with them, really amazing to work with. Uh, it was a season season of sunshine theme with all local flora and fauna. So I do do a bit of print work as well when uh, budgets and painting isn't possible. I do actually really like the mix of doing a bit of print and paint work. I'm sure most people uh, no, no painting, physical painting is quite exhausting and not always possible. So to have this uh, option and where it's often uh, removable as well. So it's great to be able to have another medium where you can put your artwork in places. But I really enjoyed it and spent a week in my pajamas painting. Yeah. So yeah. digitally painting birds and flowers. It was really lovely. <laughs> yeah. How hard is it from a from a travel component? Obviously, if you're based in Melbourne. Uh, the logistics to try and make it happen uh, interstate. I'm. I mean, I, I like to travel a lot when I can. I know a lot of artists have got families now, or different setups where it may be not so easy for people to travel. But most mural artists, I think, really enjoy traveling, and it, it's on a bucket list next year as well to paint all over Australia a bit more and also abroad. I've got some ideas of painting abroad, so. Yeah, I, I definitely, before I get a bit older, to, you know, do some walls elsewhere is pretty exciting. Yeah, look out. All right. Well, there's nothing better than transforming a blank wall uh, that comes together, you know, from such big space, which, let's face it, it's just a big blank wall without this incredible mural on it. Um, do you, do you, what's the challenge, I guess, uh, probably what I'm asking, with, you know, a client that comes to you with a brief you find as a challenge uh, yourself as an artist uh, to try and execute and, but you still got to try and come back with a concept and then you obviously with a vision that you've got to nail it and it's got to be that size. Um, how hard is that as a, as an artist or is it kind of down to experience uh, as you get more and more done that you just be able to get them done quicker and, and nail the briefs um, more on point, I guess. The brief design concept stage always the most difficult that's it's the unknown it's it's meeting expectation and knowing if you're the right fit for the project so once the design is signed off ready to go i really don't have to think i just turn into a bit of a tradie and you knock up a wall other yeah. than weather it's quite meditative you get the job done but working with clients i it is experience and knowing what to ask as well mm. and um trying to just trying to be a couple of steps ahead so you can fulfill their vision i i think once one really good question to ask clients is of my previous work what do you like or why why have you selected me earlier on in my career i've been selected to be to do a job just because they didn't know anyone else so you're like okay good <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. i have been selected for a job just because i'm female that's just the reality of mm -hmm. some projects but i think trying to get um them to say you know i really like this project of yours i love the colors and the composition so i think even bouncing off that's a really good way to start a design but it's asking lots and lots of questions and I think the hardest thing for me to understand is not everyone can't uh not everyone can visualize the way artists can I'm very yeah. against this idea that artists have this innate talent sprung out of the womb we know how to paint I'm very it's lots and lots of hard work and development but one thing i do think that might be a bit more that artists have 
or some artists have that I think that uh, not all of our clients have. So trying to convey your idea to them through designs, through swatches, through reference material, as much as that, I think that you're going to meet a common ground. And, and I'm very, not, not everyone does this, and I'm a bit of a masochist, but I do full-colour illustrations, fully rendered of every wall I do. Yeah, right. It's 50% for the client to be so super satisfied that they know the scale and the content of their walls, and I'll yeah. Photoshop it onto a photograph of their wall so they know exactly what they're getting. But it's mm. also for me, so I don't have to make any decisions on the wall. I just rock up and yeah. do it. So. Yeah. It's, it's just planning, you know. I know some artists work, you know, rock up with a bucket of paint and what they go, but for commercial projects, I don't think that's very viable. Yeah, it's uh, like we talked about, the classic time's money and you don't have time when you're set up and you're on site uh, and you've got a deadline, you've got to make it happen and it's got to be in that time frame or else it's more than likely back on you <laughs> to, uh, oh, yeah. to get it I done regardless. A lot of mural projects are set fee it's a negotiated project fee so if you're over that's on you so it's a great way to work and i think it's a great way for everyone to set up expectation at the start mm. but you know you do have to uh try and negotiate time pretty well yeah all right i'm going to flash across to a gallery i saw some of your work out at ksr uh that sadly that gallery is no longer with us uh yeah. anymore um but what an amazing um time to be Involved at KSR uh, with the freedom to do this incredible project. Just tell us a little bit about how this project came together uh, and most importantly, this incredible piece. Um, how did the KSR thing come about, obviously, as an artist? And then what what kind of, what do you get uh, as far as um, free reign to kind of do whatever you want inside a gallery space for a certain period of time? So it was a like an application presentation, approach the gallery with your idea and concept. So I knew I wanted to be called Lions, Tigers and Bears post-COVID. And I was very adamant about that. I knew I wanted the walls to be maroon and then everything else was worked out in space. So it was a five-week residency. I think it ended up by being and all of the work that you saw in the pictures were made in the space in six weeks, which is I don't know how I did it looking back, to be quite honest. It was a very intense uh, amount of work to do. I think it was 13 paintings, a mural, a hanging installation. I did jewellery and prints as well. And so it was a lot as well as transforming the space, the, the walls of the gallery itself. But to be able to have an opportunity just to make whatever you want to make coming from a very commercial mural practice was just a dream and also extremely daunting as well I think when you're very used to doing commercial projects you go okay what do I want to do what do I like what's one of my favorite colors when because everything is always uh bounced off or collaborated with someone else when it's all on you you can't blame a dodgy color or composition on your client it's everything's on you so uh it, it was wonderful though it was a really really good experience and from that as well one of the key ideas from doing personal work is to hopefully that'll bleed into more and more mural works so people will see i loved your painting could we turn that into a mural and i have got a few mural sense of of tigers to people like who does tigers justine does tigers let's get her on it. <laughs> tiger girl yeah exactly I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not sorry about that at all but yeah it is, it is to influence clients and uh, future projects. Yeah. So just tell me a little bit about that concept for you. Why why tigers? Uh, why lions? How, how did that all come together? Is it, a, is it a love for you that you've always um, resonated with, those kind of animals, or what, why have, the theme for you? Have you seen Wizard of Oz? I have. Yes. So one of the most famous quotes from... Wizard of Oz is lions and tigers and bears and it's the uh, scarecrow tin man and Dorothy going into the forest and they're chanting lions and tigers and bears and they're just catastrophizing they're working themselves up the anxiety and they get confronted with the lion who turns out to be super cowardly so the show is a metaphor 
I yeah. love painting animals, so that was a massive plus. But I think coming out of COVID, everyone around me, including myself, had anxiety about everything. And I think mm. there was a lot of very legitimate anxiety, you know, jobs, money, income, yep. relationships, everything. Mm. And also I think a lot of us, when you're locked in a room, you start locked in a house, you start concocting problems that maybe you don't have when you have your normal busy life. So it was a play on just the anxiety that was around us. And yeah. instead of being quite literal with something quite serious, I like to put a playful spin on it and quite a metaphoric spin of animals and people all in these big chaotic tangles. But the paintings themselves were never meant to be gruesome or grotesque. Every painting was just the moment before, like the lion was about to attack the horse, yeah, right. about to get. So it was about that moment before anything bad ever happened. So my pictorial, very theatrical spin on the anxiety that we all felt a couple of years ago. Do you ever look back on that now uh, and use that as kind of motivation every time you have a little bit of that anxiety? and the build-up, and you think, this is when I nailed that project, and this is what it was about, and this is what I stand for now. The work kind of changes. It's weird. I think maybe it was, I look back at it, and it has, like, slightly different and more refreshed meanings from wherever mm -hmm. I am. And I think art does that when you revisit the same piece of art, how you're feeling at that point of time. You'll read yeah. the piece of work with a different context. But it being so engrossed in the body of work at the time I finished it and I didn't really know how I felt about it to be quite honest I was so in it and but after having a bit of separation from it I'm really proud of that body of work and it was something very personal and I took a lot of risks with that work which I don't mm. always get to do with my commercial work I learned a lot of things from doing a first solo show as well yeah yeah uh, did a lot of things right, did a lot of things wrong, but I just say, you know, like, I'm really proud of the work and the sales were really good from it. So uh, I'm planning solo show number two next year. So that all yeah. of the details for that are being worked out. Really excited about that. Okay, great. And and was that probably your obviously your first solo show, but it, did you feel like you bit off more than you could chew potentially at, at one stage or was it always well planned as far as the time frame what you think you could execute what style of pieces I mean the jewelry the whole lot it was a big deal I'm a masochist I made like an embroidered jacket as well for opening night yeah. which I was ironing on the there were embroidered patches that mimic the paintings and I was ironing those on with like two hours sleep that morning I I thought I was really organised, but I think a part of my whole career is just, you know, shoot for the stars, make it work, <laughs> to be quite honest. Yeah, I yeah. bit off way more than I could chew, but I think sometimes, you know, the pressure cooker thing is a good thing. And I, I'm always proud when I, when I push myself. It's when I'm safe that I don't feel as great about myself. So, yeah. you know, there's a happy medium. You don't want to completely... Um, do something that's unachievable or not going to happen, but yeah. I'm a pretty big believer in pushing myself. Yeah, and how many pieces were part of that show in particular? There were 13 paintings, one installation, four jewellery pieces and three prints and a wow. <laughs> Were you left with anything at the end? I think I've got one painting left. So okay. it, it, they took a few weeks to sell but uh, sure. yeah i was really pleased with the result and given that it was your first solo show with huge success um and a real driving force probably for you for the future do you think you'll keep that last painting maybe as a um a piece of a piece of history for you yeah i think i might it's it's bubble wrapped in my shed with a few things leaning on at the moment so i should get it out i, right. I love it always makes me laugh, you know, when you do a piece of work and you get a coffee cup and a sandwich and you're dragging it around the gallery and as soon as you give it to someone, they got the white gloves and, you know, like it's, yeah. you know, it's like an artefact, you know, and I would be with yeah. someone else's work as well, but it's just that <laughs> the difference in the handling of the work. So, yeah, I feel like I'm 
equivalent. I've got a sandwich of it in the uh, garage at the moment. Or you have to promise me uh, that you drag that back out in the next near future and and hang that in your home because uh, it's too good to be in a back shed wrapped in bubble wrap. So um, with <laughs> such a great story behind it, for sure. Awesome. Um, what do you think your biggest learning um, from that festival, or sorry, that uh, gallery in particular, um, what, what was your kind of biggest takeaway of what you've learned from that one? I got a little bit wrapped up in the bells and whistles of the show, as in mm. the jewellery and the wall colour had to be perfect and all of the other things. I think it's quite a expectation nowadays that gallery shows are more of an experience rather than paintings just in a white wall gallery. Yeah. Uh, ASR itself lends itself to a sculptural piece in the middle, so that was something that quite a, a few people did to create a whole immersive experience. And I'm really proud of all of the elements I did, but I wish I maybe would have focused on the paintings a little bit longer or maybe done some more paintings to flesh out the body of work. So. Yeah. Next time, I think a bit more emphasis on the paintings and maybe make more than what I need and then I can edit and select from that because I I painted 13 paintings and I put 13 paintings in. So I think, yeah, more time on the paintings next time. Yeah. And why, can I ask you, why in particular did the jewellery become part of it and then these, the sculpture component? Obviously, you, you wanted to tie in the sculpture component because that central focus in that room probably really commanded something big and big and um, kind of like a live 3D painting, really. Um, but but why the jewellery as well? Is it something that's another love of yours that you've tied in? It's just a bucket list thing that it, yeah, right. that I wanted to get off and I thought, well, this is the perfect um, opportunity to do it. It is really cool, though. I, <laughs> I sold a, a few pieces and they will pop up. I will be... At an event and someone will come with the ring and i did a lions tigers and bears motif with roman numerals of the the gear around it so it was kind of a, a time stamp time piece for the mm. show yeah. <laughs> funny story my sister was on dating app and one of the guys had another guy's hand around him and the friend had one of my rings on it and oh, she was, no. was I think this dude's friend bought you a ring. And oh my goodness, my ring. So they've actually been popping up in really weird places. So that's wow. been cool. Yeah, that is cool. Um, just on that, I mean, what's what's the best um, feedback you've ever had uh, in relation to one of your prints or, or murals? Or you touched on the Pearl Jam one before, and I thought that was really cool kind of feedback there. But did you have anything else that you just thought, wow, that this kind of really did make a difference or it was a bit of a moment? Uh, for someone i think the biggest compliment anyone can give is purchasing one of your personal pieces it's just it's not even words it's the act of i've resonated with something you've put out there and i'm willing yeah. to pay quite a bit of money for this piece and hang it on my wall as well yeah. I, I don't think there could be a greater compliment than that and I know like myself a lot of people love artwork but for them to actually purchase a piece is quite a big deal so yeah. you know it is lovely you know do murals and part of the the job is that people do say lovely things or you know you activate or change spaces but I think I get really super chuffed when people will purchase a personal piece I've done it just feels like a bit more of a personal connection or something I, yeah something more personal about that yeah for sure you're 100% right I mean that's kind of why you write you can run some limited edition prints uh that are replicas obviously of the uh, the absolute mural that mural generally is a, is a one-off uh or or the or the painting um someone lucky enough gets to keep that or buy that piece um have you ever found any of your pieces kind of been sold sold on to anyone else uh, moved, moved houses I, not that I know of. I guess that was my first show, so no one has no one's flipped a painting yet that I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah cool. There's the whole uh, whole politics around that and the ethics of reselling yeah. things, but uh, that hasn't happened yet. No. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, but you're right. I mean, people do have limited space, limited walls. Um, I can understand how you'd be really touched by someone. Um, do you, have you ever walked into someone's house 
not knowing that they'd bought one of your pieces and seen it on the wall? Has that happened yet? It was more that I'd forgotten that they'd purchased. Um, I went to barbecue for grand final day and my husband's friends had bought a print and it's like front and centre in their living room and I'd forgotten that they had purchased it and I'd also forgotten how big it was as well. Works in gallery spaces look so much uh, smaller than in, you know, when you put them in domestic environments. But just walking in and it was there and it was just one of the prints. I was just really chuffed because when when friends buy your things, you know, you think, oh, you know, they might be just supporting or they may not get it framed or whack it out the back. But Mm -hmm. for them to actually go to the trouble of beautifully framing it and putting it in a really central part of the house, it was really nice. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you to that friend for not making it a bubble wrap piece pushed back absolutely. in the corner of the garage, right? <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. It's seen the seen the light of day and, and someone I'm sure talks positive about you every time they see that piece or someone says, wow, that's really cool. They get to tell them a little bit more about the artist. So uh, I think that's really cool too. And even know the artist is even, even more cool. So um, well done. I want to touch on um, the last uh, kind of one I've got for you. This was a really cool piece, and I think it was so well captured um, of Daniel Johns for the past, present, and future Never uh, exhibition. It was done, curated by Eddie Zamet, um, who happens to be represent you uh, at the moment. Um, this was a beautiful piece. Uh, once again, use of colour, um, you know, the kind, fine detail also that's in this piece. Uh, just tell us a bit about why this concept for you how did it come about um obviously the daniel john story is widely publicized i guess but also there's so many hidden pieces uh to daniel john's and his story so why this why this piece for you so the this exhibition as you said was put on by uh curated by eddie zamet and he curated a select few artists to do works either of daniel or works that were influenced by his work and his music but I knew I wanted to do a portrait and like anything I do it's generally pretty loud and chaotic and I put butterflies and scorpions throughout his suit and in the background this is actually a crop of the original uh their reflections of uh, he's got a butterfly and scorpion tattoos so I just thought they were great motifs to surround him by and daniel had a period where he was wearing a lot of eye makeup and i just gravitated to that i thought it was pretty pretty cool and i pieced i pieced this image together of different portraits of him in different uh with different moods and using all of these references this is kind of what i came up with and i like pearl jam actually was a really big silver chair fan i was probably more of their age group growing up I had had all of the albums and was pretty big fan so this was pretty pretty cool experience to be part of absolutely um you mentioned you weren't necessarily the biggest Pearl Jam fan before that came about but you are now right Um, (laughs) but in this case you know how how cool is that to be to do something for an artist that you've kind of grown up um with as such and probably idolized possibly we had a poster of Daniel and and Silverchair even on the wall back as a kid um, smash hits. There would have been smash yeah. hits. <laughs> yeah. My next one neighbor was very like NSYNC, very uh, the pretty boys, Hanson, and I was grunge all the way. I was Nirvana, Silverchair. <laughs> so we would share the posters. She could get all the pretty boys and I would have all of the grunge grunge bands posters. Yeah, really cool. Uh, now you touched on um, traveling uh, is in your agenda for sure. Uh, hopefully next year, maybe a little bit around Australia, but also in other parts of the world. If you could go and paint one wall you've seen a picture of or an iconic venue, um, have you got one for me? Where would it be? I was, about, a dream to, out there. I was about to cut you off 10 times because I know the answer to that. <laughs> uh, Tokyo. I, yeah. I, so many people are travelling to Japan at the moment, but I went in 20... 18 and just immediately fell in love with the place and a little bit sad that I realised they don't have a big mural scene there but I mean that was in 2018 but it is changing they do have a mural festival there and I made a couple of connections there as well so trying to 
make something happen, but Tokyo mm. would be absolute dream. Just the the food, the art, the culture, the respect they have for detail and nuance. It's 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 on a bucket list. So if I could do any size mural in Tokyo, it would be amazing. But to do a huge piece would be phenomenal because I I know a few pieces a few years ago. They were putting up these ginormous pieces in business districts, but they were very much meant to be temporary pieces, like up for several weeks and then painted over because there was a lot of fear around even to put murals in spaces would encourage graffiti. So mm. I think that's changing a little bit. And I know that there's a lot of cafes in Japan and restaurants, more hospitality venues are just starting to get murals. So hopefully that'll start to spread out to the to the streets as well. Yep. Well, shout out to anyone in Japan that finally finds this little piece of um, history that we're putting together here. But look how cool this is. Like, <laughs> if that isn't something you want as part of your uh, streetscapes, um, Justine, you're absolutely killing it. You're doing some great work. Uh, scale is incredible. Um, but you still got to, no matter what size it is um, and no matter how it comes together, um, Every one of these projects looks incredible that you've done. So inside buildings, outside buildings, on top of almost on top of buildings. Um, who knows? A rooftop could be for you next. I'd do that. Um, I'm, uh, I helped out on a ceiling recently. That's the only thing I'd be like, oh, <laughs> I need a rest <laughs> from ceilings. But if you got a wall, uh, you know, you can have some art on it. So, yeah, I really, thanks for your kind words. I really do love what I do and I think I can really see myself doing this for a really long time so hopefully there's still a market and a love for murals because yeah it's a real real passion of mine yeah, absolutely it is and and it sounds like you've got a bit of a love for fashion as well so who knows your art could be part of some fashion pieces in the future some yardage prints I could really see some unbelievable yardage prints your use of color your detail, um, it deserves to be honoured to a lot bigger audience as far as masses, who knows? Could be jackets, could be shirts, they could be anything. Um, get it out there, Justine McAllister, you've been fantastic. So Instagram.com, uh, look up Justine McAllister. That's the first point of reference, but I'm sure there's plenty others um, that Justine's got. That's a good point of reference for start. Um, and who knows where you'll pop, Justine McAllister will pop up next, but Thanks for joining us, Justine, on episode 113 of So What's Been Happening. We could talk for a lot longer about your incredible talents, but that's where we'll leave it for now. And we look forward to having you back uh, with any news you've got in the future talking about um, your incredible art. Thank you so much for having me. That time went so fast. <laughs> it sure did. Uh, it's, it's always the half an hour that ends up being an hour, but thank you so much and you've been generous with your time. Thank you so much. See you soon. How great to have Justine uh, as part of the show. God, what a talent. Um, it really, uh, the one question um, I had for her was, you know, the scalability of the art um, and the repeatability of the art she must find. Like there's nothing that ever looks like it repeats here as far as um, similar work being done before. So look forward to having a chat to her a little bit later um, on in, in her career. Maybe, who knows, could be this year, could be next year, but more than likely next year we talk to, together with Justine. So um, look forward to having a chat to her again. So a couple of shows coming up. We've got tomorrow night, Zoe Fox. We're going to have a chat to her with her new lineup again, Zoe Fox and the Rocket Clocks. We've got to be very careful saying that because that's a real tongue twister. Um, we look forward to having a chat to Zoe. We've also then got next week um, Jamie Hutchings, going to join us. Mark Sinton's going to join us on November the 8th and Al Carr from Castlemaine. So a few musical artists coming up. Then we're going to slide in some other artists in amongst that. But for now, uh, that was episode 113 of So What's Been Happening. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you soon.